Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm Claudia Fleming, and I'm here to speak about the re-release of my cookbook, The Last Course. For more Cookery by the Book, you can follow me on Instagram. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. I'm always looking for new people to enjoy Cookery by the Book. Now on with the show. Personally, the thing I love about the last course is it speaks to everyone. Perfect for home cooks like me. You are acclaimed for having set an industry-wide standard at New York City's Gramercy Tavern with your James Beard award-winning desserts. Gramercy Tavern is my all-time favorite restaurant here in the city. Danny Meyer said it so accurately in the cookbook. He wrote, Gramercy Tavern strives to combine luxury with warm, down-to-earth hospitality. The New York Times called The Last Course a cult, out-of-print cookbook. I'm not alone when I say I'm thrilled you've re-released it. It's rare for a cookbook to be re-released, so I'm curious to know why you chose to re-release it now. It wasn't my choice. The publisher reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in... um reissuing the cookbook. And of course I said, yes, it was so many years later. And, um, yeah, I mean, I get weekly requests for books and I, I didn't have books, (laughs) you know, people were always wanting to buy the book and, um, I guess the demand got back to them and they decided to re-release. Thankfully. Good for me. Yay. Yeah. Good for all of us. (laughs) So before we dig into the book, I'd like to do a little walk down memory lane. Okay. 1984 on 79th Street, you're working at Jonathan Waxman's Ode to California Cuisine, Jams. Then Danny Meyer brought you to Union Square Cafe. Then Drew Neaporant hired you as the pastry assistant at Tribeca Grill in 1990. 1994, Tom Colicchio brought you on board Gramercy Tavern. Those are four visionaries in the restaurant business. I mean, what a star-studded list. Can you think of one takeaway that you learned from each of them? Jonathan, Danny, Tom, and Drew. Oh, sure. Um, well, Jonathan did bring a revolutionary style of um, cooking and cuisine to New York. And it was my first exposure to, um, you know, luxury dining. And uh, every single thing you touched in that restaurant was the very best. You know, the Janori China, the Hockney paintings, uh, the, you know, Italian tiles, um, And then, of course, all the ingredients that he used. I I remember there being towers of FedEx's FedEx boxes that came from California with all those baby vegetables, you know, the likes of which I'd never seen before. And it was so incredibly exciting. So I think from Jonathan, it was just his approach to cooking. You know, it was very California. It was very light and laid back and you know, in those days, we were still immersed in the French style of dining and cooking and eating. And this was just a whole new world. And it was incredibly exciting. And I just felt so honored to be in it and part of it. Danny, of course, as we know, is just, 
you know, Mr. Hospitality. And Danny, I think, brought respect to those of us who worked in the industry that before that time, it wasn't a job for educated, ambitious people. It was, and I think still is a little bit of a place for kind of lost toys and, and or broken toys. Like the restaurant industry definitely attracts a different kind of personality, but still Danny gave working in the restaurant industry respect and not to mention his brand of hospitality, which is just warm and inviting and ingratiating and a delight to be around. I mean, he really had a knack for seeking out people whose, I think, driving motivation is to please people. And let's see, Drew, Drew, I have never met a person who remembers names, numbers. He was just the ultimate maitre d' you know, of course he got so much larger than that. And he was just a little more of an entertainer, I think, than Danny was, but still that same kind of loving people who came to the restaurant and wanting to do anything to make them happy. And if you met Drew once, he remembered you forever. I mean, I remember years after working for him, calling him and him like calling me back within five minutes. Like there was no one he didn't get back to. He was just, he was amazing that way or is amazing that way. Follow-up, I, I would say, was is one of Drew's, one of the things that Drew has taught me. Never let a phone call go unanswered or a request unattended to. And who was our last? And Tom Calicchio. Oh, Tom, oh, my mentor. Tom taught me how to cook, taught me how to think about food taught me about seasonality and locality and informed the way I cook and create desserts to this day. In between Tribeca Grill and Gramercy Tavern, you jetted off to Paris to study pastry. Talk a little bit about that. Jetted off. Wow, that sounds glamorous. Doesn't it? Uh, it was a little less glamorous. I think I was living on like $20 a week. I would make a pot of lentil soup on Sunday and eat it all week long. Buying myself a piece of cheese was a luxury. Luxurious, it was not. Um, I worked in bakeries because after having worked in restaurants, I wanted a more technically driven education as opposed to the stylized creations that one learns when you work in a restaurant. So I chose bakeries because they are so basic and traditional and technically oriented. Growing up, you didn't cook with your mother or grandmother, and you were a dancer. So needless to say, food wasn't at the forefront of your passions or thinking. When no. did that pivot? Um, once I started working at Jams, I think. But, you know, make no mistake. I mean, uh, my family, you know, Italian-American family, and my mother and her sisters were food-obsessed. And... I think from the time they woke up until the time they went to bed, all they did was talk about food or what the next meal was going to be or how to enhance this or make this better. This is so great. But if we just did this, it would be that. I mean, it was never, ever far from the forefront of their minds. Um, and my mother was an excellent cook. So 
we always had great food, never a frozen vegetable or a canned vegetable. I remember begging for iceberg lettuce because we had escarole and chicory, and I just wanted like plain old boring iceberg lettuce. So food was very, very important in my family. I guess as a dancer, it was kind of the forbidden fruit, which is perhaps why I was attracted to it. But I would have to say at jams is when it really became something that I was attracted to as a creative outlet because it was food cooked and presented in a way that I had never seen or imagined before. Do you think because your training wasn't as structured as that of many other pastry chefs, you can come up with interesting flavor combinations like roasted pineapple with pink peppercorns by thinking outside the box? I think that's fair to say. I also was very influenced by the cooks in the kitchen. So I kind of wanted to do what they were doing and I wanted to sprinkle and saute and not necessarily measure exactly and play with mise en place. So Yes, I was open to experimenting and Tom was open to having me do that. Speaking of experimenting, one thing I used to love about your desserts at Gramercy Tavern was that it wouldn't be just a slice of cake or a piece of pie. There would be at least three components on the plate that I could tell were so carefully thought out and mind-blowingly delicious. Lucky for us, the last chapter in the cookbook is a collection of your signature composed desserts. Talk a little bit about that. Again, to go back to, you know, watching the cooks compose a plate, it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a primary element, whether that be the tart or the cake, and then enhance it with something cold or something hot, something crunchy, something tart, an herb, a spice. I was just always looking to make things more complicated than they were. (laughs) And, And in retrospect, it was such an incredible luxury to be afforded that time to just immerse myself in flavor combinations that weren't necessarily part of the sweet kitchen. I was borrowing from the savory kitchen. You know, I saw chefs and cooks borrow from the sweet side of the kitchen. So I thought, well, why can't I borrow from them or find complimentary things from the savory side that would be equally complimentary to desserts? So that was just how I started to approach things. You use hard-boiled egg yolks in your biscuits. I have never heard of this before. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was something I learned from a woman that I worked with. It is a tenderizer, and it's very Austrian. You can find it in a lot of Linzer recipes. So interesting. I know. And so what does the boiled egg yolk do? Does it make it fluffier or? It makes the, the dough more more tender, softer. Tell me about the North Fork Table and Inn that you opened with your husband, Jerry Hayden, and Mike and Mary Mraz. Yep. Well, let me start by telling you I sold the North Fork Table and Inn last week. We closed. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Very happy. Uh, Fifteen years. It was a wonderful, challenging, bittersweet time. You know, we went out there to realize a dream. It was very, very hard, but such an amazing experience to work so closely with farmers and fishermen and just all the local purveyors that we used, building relationships, 
people coming to the back door whenever they had something special that they wanted us to use or try. And being in a small community where everybody is just there to support everybody else. And the food community out there developed or evolved so much over the years that we were there. Um, And there were just so many like-minded people wanting to live a kinder, gentler life. And it was lovely, albeit incredibly challenging and ultimately not sustainable. So for the listeners who may not know your husband that you met at Tribeca Grill, who mm-hmm. was a pioneer in the farm to table movement, sadly passed away in 2015 from ALS. And I am so sorry. Thank you. Could you talk a bit about cooking and grief? Has baking, cooking and being in the kitchen helped your heart heal? Or has it made it more excruciating? Um, I think it's different at different times. But I have to say, so although I'm in the kitchen every day doing production, running a restaurant sort of eclipsed that aspect of being at the restaurant. It's very hard to be creative when every day is kind of crisis management. And it was mostly about getting it done most of the time so I could move on to, I don't know, working on PR or solving problems or trying to figure out why we weren't doing more business this Saturday this year than we did last Saturday last year. I I mean, it was just constantly evaluating the business and trying to figure it out and rationalize and reason why things were changing so dramatically all the time. So I think being busy, I'm not sure that it helps in the healing process, but it's certainly a great distraction. Um, And so I I kind of feel somewhat like I'm waiting to have some time to mourn, frankly, now that the restaurant is closed and I can look back at all the wonderful things we accomplished. But when you're struggling, it's very hard to recognize all that. So I look forward to being able to appreciate what we accomplished now that the struggle is subsided. Now that you've closed the inn... What are your plans to start a new chapter in your life? Well, there is a new cookbook in the pipeline. I imagine I'll be consulting. I'm staying on with the um, the new owners of the restaurant to do some consulting on the dessert menu. Hopefully there'll be some travel in my future and discovery and uh, exploration. Over the weekend, I made your recipe for individual chocolate souffle cakes on page 217. Can you describe this dish? These are actually a Nancy Silverton adaptation from a thousand years ago. You know, when something is this simple, the most important thing is to use the best ingredients you can get. In this instance, of course, you want to use high quality butter and, you know, farm fresh eggs, but... The chocolate is really where it's at. And in those days, Valrona was where it was at. And not that it isn't anymore, but there are so many other chocolates that that one could explore with. Now for my segment called My Favorite Cookbook. Other than this cookbook, what is your all-time favorite cookbook and why? Nancy Silverton's dessert book, her first dessert book. It launched me into you know, my passion for dessert and pastry in 1986, maybe it was. I devoured that book. I was living in Aspen that summer. 
and the person I was staying with had a copy of the book and I read it backwards and forwards, forwards and back. It was very classic, but with lots of twists and her interpretations. And I just loved it. And I love her still. You know, after Tom is probably my greatest inspiration. Where can we find you on the web and social media? So I'm at Chef Claudia Fleming on Instagram and the same for Facebook. It has been so lovely chatting with you, Claudia. Thanks so much for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you for having me, Susie. Great to talk to you. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.